Here to score it for us is the master of disaster public relations specialist, Mike Paul. Mike Paul, known as the reputation doctor. Well, there's a court of law and there's a court of public opinion. Mike Paul is a crisis PR and reputation management expert. He's all about reputation. Got some tips on rebuilding those reputations. You first have to be transparent and then be accountable for your actions. He's got to get on a truth train right now. There's no ifs or buts in a true apology. You must speak directly to the issues that you've been involved with. You're going to have to have an across-the-board solution that is more than words, and you've got to have actions. Welcome to this week's Reputations in Crisis. Our guest today is Freddie Stevenson. Freddie, welcome to the program. Hey, Mike, thank you for having me, man. It's a, it's a great pleasure to be on here with you. Uh, pleasure's mine, man. So listen, college football champion, makes it into the pros as a fullback for the Chicago Bears. And I want to start with a video that talks about your brand currently, Triumph 105. And let's roll tape and we'll come back and we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. This one time, my mother only had one dollar for us to eat. She ordered us one cheeseburger to share. The total came out to a dollar five. She asked around for someone to loan her that nickel. After getting the burger, she then cut it up for us to share. My younger sister asked my mother why she wasn't eating, and my mother immediately broke down in tears. And this was the first time we shown any emotion throughout all our struggles. This is why I triumph 105. So, Freddie, man, that, that video touches my heart, man. And I know that's something that you lived. I know that's something that is absolutely authentic. Tell me why you decided to take something that was the cost of a hamburger that day and turned it into a purposeful brand that is going to be attached to you for the rest of your life. Triumph 105, if I'm correct, the C and the V that I saw on your logo are the Roman numerals, right? C for 100 and the V for five, which was the cost of the hamburger that day. Yep, yep, without a doubt, yep, you got it right. So tell me, tell me more about that story. Um, your dad uh, was a preacher. And what else was he doing for the circumstances to come to what they were at that time? Yes, what I've got. So at the time, my father, he was a huge, like kingpin in our area, drug trafficking. And he, he got he got jammed up. Big charges, feds came in, rushed the door, and he didn't have a release date. So we went from having pretty much anything we, we wanted to now we have nothing. And my, my mother was left with the task of raising five kids on her own. And it got tough. Times, times got crazy, Home, got homeless, bouncing around from place to place, and just trying to make ends meet. My mother working two to three jobs, trying to make ends meet. And wherever we could lay our head at, that's what, that's what we did. And with the situation at McDonald's, it was one day where it's like 8 o'clock in the evening, and we hadn't eaten that whole entire day. And we're starting to get a little worried. My baby sister, she's crying. And my mother just gathers everybody together and walks us to a McDonald's. And when we go inside, she orders a cheeseburger. And at the time, we didn't know she only had a dollar to her name. So 
So we're looking around. We're like, okay, what's going on? It's five of us. And we didn't know. We see her pull out the dollar. And she asked the cashier if a dollar's okay because the total comes out to a dollar and five cents. She says, is it okay if I only pay with this dollar? And the cashier, for some reason, she was like, no, we need the nickel. So we watched my mom have to go around McDonald's and, and beg for a nickel. Someone was generous enough to give her the nickel. And at this time, we're embarrassed. She walks us outside, slices it up into five pieces, and starts handing it out to everybody. And as we're eating, my older sister, she notices that my mom isn't eating, and she asked her why. And then immediately, everybody else started trying to offer my mom food, and she just turned it down and burst into tears. And yeah. that's something that just stood with me forever. And I remember my mom, early on, I used to always walk around with the football, run around with it. And all my, all my family members and stuff, they always bothered me and stuff. Because I was that kid, like, she saw it early. And she tried to put me, she always told me that I was going to go to the league. And I told her, I was like, Mom, I'm going I'm to make it to the NFL. I promise you I'm going to make it to the NFL and take care of our family. And you did. And what an amazing story to get an opportunity to play in the NFL. And we'll get to that in a second. We'll get to your uh, college career at, at Florida State as well. But when you said your dad was a kingpin, at first I thought you were framing it from a perspective of he had another job and then there was this secret where he was a drug dealer. Was that something that was known in your family at the time? Was it just something that you knew that you didn't talk about? Did the average person in the community see him as a preacher first or as a drug dealer first? Yeah, he was a he, he didn't become a he didn't change his life around until he went to prison. So he was known as that, but we didn't as kids, I didn't know. And I got a story in my book that kind of gives a a deep description of how I found out. I didn't have a clue. And this is like a huge get together, and I didn't know until that date. And that's how I was able to put together how we're able to afford all these th all these luxuries. And right. yeah, I, I didn't I didn't know what he was doing, but yeah, my, my family they knew what he did. We hear the story we hear the stories now, but back then I didn't have a clue. So let's jump a little bit. Um, you promise your mom eventually that you're going to get out of the situation that you're in, and you're gonna and and the big hopes are you're going to make it to the pros. But there's many steps that it takes to get there. So first. You've got to be one of the best high school athletes in the country to have just an opportunity, no guarantee, to play for a decent college team. So walk us through that situation. Yeah, everybody looks back and they hear my story now and they think I was just this phenom in college, which wasn't really the case for me. My, I remember my 11th grade year is like the end of the year. I have no schools recruiting me. And I'm, I'm starting to get nervous of whether or not I want to go to college or not. And I'm, I'm making pretty pretty big noise in my in my area. So I'm thinking I'm going to get opportunity at least, but nobody's giving me a shot. And I remember the second to last game of my junior season, I had a major injury and doctors told me that I may never play again. I broke my fibula, broke my ankle, lost all the cartilage in my ankle and broke a few bones wow. in my foot. And I just remember being in, at the hospital, them telling me that I may not play again. And I was just going back and forth with them. I was passionate. It was it was a heated heated exchange, just letting them know about my dreams, my aspirations, the promises that I made to my mother. And they had to calm me down. But ultimately, at that point, all I could do was just move forward. The situation was what it was, but it was ultimately up to me to control 
how my response was. So right. all I could do was make sure that I was doing what the doctors were telling me to do as far as my re rehab and let everything else play its course. And I remember being bed bound for four to five months, not knowing if I was going to get a call. And I remember the call like it was yesterday. UMass calls Coach Allen Super. His name, I will never forget that name. And it was at a time where I, the depression started to kick in. I don't know if I'm going to get to live my dream. The doubt started to creep in. And he tells me, he calls me, and I'm just thinking he's telling me that he saw my film and they're interested. But he's like, no, we want to offer you a scholarship, full ride. And I told him wow. about my injury. I was like, kind of, I, I was shocked that he was offering me. And I told him about my injury, just wondering if like they were going to take care of me because I didn't know how I was going to respond back from the injury. I'm a whole new person at this point. Just right. Like, Freddie, we're invested in you. If you have to sit out a year and rehab, we, we got you. It's like, you're a hell of a player and we're going to invest in you. So I remember crying out tears, tears of joy from that moment, just all the pain, everything that I went through. I didn't care if I got another call. At that moment, I knew I was going to be able to further further my dreams and keep chasing my goals. You did get another call from an even bigger school, Florida State. and Tell me about that day and how'd your mom feel? How'd the family feel? What was that like? It's, it's funny. It's funny looking back at it because I grew up a Miami fan. So I never really wanted to go to Florida State. But all a lot of, <laughs> a lot of the schools in the state were scared off by my injury. And Florida State right. was one of the schools that took a chance on me despite the injury. And I remember telling her, like, man, I don't, I don't really want to go to Florida State. I wanted to go to a school, Texas A&M. I wanted to go there, but my mom, our relationship, everything that we've been through, she's we have a tight-knit relationship. She didn't want any of her kids to leave the state. So she's like, man, I'm not signing those papers. And I'm a guy, great academic, great in school, and I was going to graduate early. So when I signed, wow. I was going to be underage, so I needed her to sign. So once she said she wasn't signing, I had to start exploring other options. I go to Florida State one game. I visited. And I'm kind of hesitant. I'm like, man, I don't, I don't, I'm not worried about them. I grew up hating them. And then I go in and I fall in love with it. I remember like maybe later that week I committed to them. And I'm the type of person that when I know I know I don't believe in waiting around on it and playing these games, I'm committed. Right. And I didn't waver. I didn't take any other visits. I was locked in on Florida State. And from there, it, it happened. I just went, I just rolled with them and just played out my senior year knowing that my future was going to be as a no. So you must have gotten to the point in your relationship where you asked them, why did you take a chance on me? What was their response? I, I asked them early in my recruiting. I think early on, to be honest, I know they were kind of scared off because I remember when I first tried to commit, they kind of, they told me to hold on. So I know that was like, okay, now they're falling into these. So I was like, man, no, I don't know. I know I got a lot of other offers as well. A lot of other schools started offering, calling. So if they're playing games, I'm going to go somewhere else. And that's where I was fighting back and forth with my mom. She, she was against Texas A&M, but they were the school that was the biggest on me. Just switched to right. the SEC, and they needed some Florida talent. And I was like, mom, if I'm not going to play these games, I don't care if I – you want me to stay in? It's about ultimately reaching the league and taking care of you. Whether or not I got to go off and do that, it doesn't matter. That's the goal. Right. And 
I believe they called back maybe like two weeks later and they were like, man, we're all in on you. We're all in on you. If we have to rehab you, we will. And they took a chance on me. So I just rolled with them. Well, that's amazing. And it shows you the character of leaders within the college game. There were those who instantly said, "Uh uh-uh, injury, not an option, too many other options. And there are others that say, wait a minute, this could be good for our organization because if he has the ability to come back, nothing's going to stop him. He's going to be a great, great teammate and team player that we want that character. I know. I remember that, that, that was one of their, that was some of the reasoning behind it. I remember talking with coach Fisher and I let him know, I like, man, I don't really like the back and forth. And he let me like, no, man, like, we're all in on you. He's like, I truly believe with your character, we need high character guys like you on the team. Ultimately, guys like you that are disciplined, hard workers, and tough, nasty. Those are the type of guys that are going to get us back to winning championships. And that's what he rolled with. He's like, I'm all in on you. So your freshman year, what happens? Win a championship. And I remember thinking back to that conversation. He was like, man, you, you don't win a championship. So – it, it, it was surreal. It was a surreal moment, especially if you rewind back in a year and a half before, I'm questioning if I'm even going to be able to play ball again. So you had some great opportunities with your time at Florida State uh, year after year. It becomes senior year, and then what happens? Yeah, my senior year, I get an opportunity to have a decent year going to win the Orange Bowl. I get an opportunity to play in the Senior Bowl, get invited to the NFL scouting combine, and the draft comes up. Thinking I'm going to get drafted, I'm the number one player in my position, but as you know, the fullback position has kind of died down now. Nobody really uses it. It phased itself out the game. So I went undrafted and signed with the Bears and went through, went, through, went through that course with them. But ultimately, I had accomplished my dream that I set for myself a while ago. What does it mean to be a free agent and then make it and play for a short period of time and talk about that time for the Chicago Bears in the NFL? The dream as a reality for at least a, a short period of time. I would say... I expected it, to be honest. Like, I was a guy that expected to have a 10, 10 to 15-year career. Like, I never had never had any issues with performing at a high level. And I think college and just the way I prepared myself prepared, prepared me for that moment. And I just went out and I, I've always played well. But the thing that is weird about the professional level is just some some teams, they have, they have their guys. It's kind of weird. So... A lot of things have to fall in your favor at that professional level. It's not just what do, you, about, what do you mean? Explain that a little better. Yeah, like um, just necessarily being in the right system that knows how to utilize your skill set. Some guys can come in and they um, they're not around coaches that don't know how to utilize their skill set. You see it all the time with your first number one overall draft picks. They get labeled bust, but then the or you look back at it, the organization really failed them to put in to fail to put them in a position to succeed. So I think that was one of the, and it, it comes being in the right situation. And I think looking back at it, it just comes with it. I, I look back at other, man, I should have signed with a different team because it wasn't, it didn't fit my playing style. So it put me in a situation where I couldn't really show off my, my, my superpowers. And 
when you get into that situation as a rookie and you're competing with vets, me looking back at it, when I'm young, I'm like, man, this is crazy. I don't understand this. I'm outshining this guy. But when you when I look back at it now, I understand it. Like, man, if I'm a guy, I'm a coach with my job on the line, I'm rolling with the proven guy. You don't right. know what this rookie's going to do when the lights come on, although I'm showing that. But you don't – the regular season, playoffs is a whole different monster. So if my job right. is on the line and we're on the hot seat, which we did have a coach that's on the hot seat, I'm rolling with the vet. So I look back at that now – and I under, I completely understand it, but at the time I didn't. How long did you play? Why, why did it end? And why did you then shift gears to what you're doing now? And then we'll go deeper into what you're doing now. But walk us through that season of you know why you didn't go to another team. Okay, yeah. Um, so it was crazy. I signed with the Bears in April. And then I made it all the way up to the, the end of preseason cuts. I made it up to the final cut. And then I'm working out with teams. And I'm thinking I'm going to get signed, but nothing ever really happened. But I, I, I remember going in with teams and they're questioning whether or not my character is an issue, whether or not I have character issues. So I don't – it was kind of weird to me. But one thing I understood, I understand now that I didn't understand then is – Sometimes teams may kind of, you know, down talk you to other teams because they want to sign you back later. And right. so I was having great workouts and teams are questioning, questioning my work ethic, this, that, and the third. But I'm always a guy in college. I was a team captain, always been the leader. So I was like, hey, what's going on? Are they saying something bad about me? Like, what's going on? But now I understand, like, teams do this. But with the staff that I was under, that may have taken place, but – that whole staff got wiped out after the season. They they didn't make it the whole season. So it's also the easy answer is to talk to the team he played for. The more difficult answer and the better data is to do some op research, right? Yeah. To ask people external to the team who came up against him, uh, who were the people that backed him in the first place when he was in college. Uh, talk to some guys that were actually on the other side of him on another team, mm-hmm. right? It's not it's sometimes the research is just lazy. Yeah, it was everybody was just rolling with that narrative and it got frustrating for me because I've never been that guy. Even coming out of college, all of the teams were high on me. When you're getting when you're getting interviewed by the Patriots and they're high on you, like, you know, you're a high character guy because the Patriots, that's a whole that's completely different type of organization. They don't they don't play those games. And just to hear that narrative now, I was like, man, I'm not sure what happened along the way, but all I can do is keep trucking and try to figure this situation out. All I've been doing up to this point is controlling what I can control. So through that experience, you learned about the power of perception. You learned about the power of branding, negative and positive branding. And you knew you had to make a living. You were moving on with your personal life. Bring us full speed up to today including the reason for your book and the reason for your brand. What was the transition from pro football to today like for you? Yeah, it was, it was tough, a, tr- a tough transition. I remember after the NFL didn't work out, I went to a developmental league and that league folded the AAF. I'm not sure if you remember it. Yes, but I do. After that, it was, I remember just investing everything in the training and I only had $650 left. So I'm just, Broke, I'm broke, mad at the world, bitter, depressed, 
I'm like, man, I got to make ends meet. And I turned to a fast lifestyle, a lifestyle that almost cost me my life, just selling, selling marijuana for, for money. And I was having crazy success with it. In a three-month span, well, four-month span, I go from having $650 and four months, I have 50000 And that's on me at any time. So when you factor in anybody that know, kind of knows a little bit on the game as far as like re, like re-upping and getting more more product you factor that in uh, easily in four months time i, I made 70 to seventy five thousand. but i knew that it wasn't my purpose i remember a guy distinctly to this day we had a transaction for ten thousand dollars and he hopped in the car with me he was like man i know you and i'm like no nah, you don't you don't know me he's like no nah, freddie stevenson played with the seminoles won the national championship played with the bears like, man, what are you doing out here? Like, you, you shouldn't be doing this. Don't tell me you went to college and came back to do this. You wasted your time going to college if that's the case. He's like, man, you wow. wrong. Yeah. And it's 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 crazy because when you think about how unpredictable life is in the streets, for him to say that, not knowing me, somebody right. could put their life on the line. Well, actually, I say what he said. I do know you. I know of you. I looked up to you. I'm just doing this transaction. My heart's telling me I got to tell you something else. That heart might be a conscience that also is within him that is going to impact yours. That that extra time to tell you some information might come from God and not just him. And it impacts the rest of your life. Without a doubt. Now, I remember... A lot of people ask me about moments that that changed my life, and I believe ultimately that was that was that was one. Even though I continued to do what I was doing, that always sat in the back of my head. And situations came up that forced me to to leave. I was had a situation where my freedom was on the line, and I, I remember praying, crying, crying, crying my my heart out, and just saying, "If you get me out of the situation, I'll change my life." And my whole mindset was that if I could do this in the streets, illegally, putting all of this, every single thing I'm working towards, all these skills that I've learned over the course of the years and developed, put this towards something negative and build this in four months, just imagine what I do once I hone this energy on something positive. I can absolutely change the world. So I flipped my mindset, like you're not a victim. If anything, everything that's happened to you over these years is your fault. Like the situation in the NFL, it is what it is. But I've always prided myself in controlling what you can control. So now I started worrying about focusing on the uncontrollables. And I put myself in a situation that almost cost me everything. Like right. life is going to happen to you. But what you do next is most important. And that's where that's what I lost sight of along the way. And just going through that journey, somehow I lost my... I lost my desire to dream. I've always been a person with a wide imagination, dreaming. You got to be where when I when you come from an environment that I come from to believe that you're going to achieve those things in spite of your situation. But as soon as a few things started going wrong for me, I lost that desire. So along the way, I needed that, and I I appreciate every single thing that's went on because it, that passion, that drive, is stronger now than it, it's ever been. So, Freddie, let me let me just jump in here. I've heard fall down, get up, fall down, 
get up, fall down, get up, fall down, get up. Four times so far in your story. Four times, starting from when you were three or four till today. And there might have been others in between. Tell us a little bit about your family. Uh, people are touched by the initial video of you talking about the, the 105 story. So tell us about your mom. Tell us whether you have somebody special in your life. Are there children? I know you're only 26, right? But tell me a little bit more about family as we then get into talking about your brand and your book. Yeah, without a doubt, my mother, she's, to be honest, this story doesn't happen without her. And my father, he's, he's, back, he's back in our life. Pastor him, my mother, married. He just, in I believe, April, opened up his own church. So Wow, wow. Yes, th th things are opening up for them. So it's, been a, it's definitely been a blessing. I got a daughter, two years old, girlfriend, hoping soon to make her my wife. She's putting a little pressure on me, so we're definitely going to get that. <laughs> but, yeah, man, I'm a, I'm a huge family guy, and I appreciate every single thing that they instilled in me early. And just, just to think about the man I am today and the places that I've, I've been able to experience and, and the destinations I've been able to reach, I think, yes, my mom is a huge, huge part of my story, but you can't, you can't overlook what my father, him coming back into my life has done because if I didn't have a father figure in my life, I don't, who knows where I would be just at times when I didn't have any, any knowledge or wisdom about things that I was experiencing just to have that, that wisdom from somebody that's been through my situation, has done time in prison and has grown and changed his life around. I think it was huge. So what's the, what's the most important message since your dad got out of prison and you have reconnected even closer to your dad? What's, what's the big message that he has that you not only remember yourself, but you're going to pass on to your children? It's just, um, I, always, I always pride myself on trusting the process. And this, it's a quote that I just put on my, my Instagram. And it's like, man, I know, I know it looks bad, but trust me, and you have the hyphen, like I said, by God. I know it looks bad, but just just trust my plan. Just trust God's plan. And it's a lot of things that in life that I didn't understand. And every single time I felt like my life, my back was backed against the wall, I got a miracle. Got me out of the situation. And right. it's crazy how I got to a place in life, like all these things, like you said, four times it happened. And you allow yourself sometimes that the doubt started creeping. I know God's looking down on me like, man, he still don't trust me. And that's where, right. I, that's where I am now. I was like, man, I know how it looks. I know it, but we're strong. There's nothing that's going to break me. We've seen it all. So, all right, it's going to come. It's going to come harder next time, but we, we're ready for it. And that's ultimately what it is. Just, tr just trusting the plan for your life. I know that I'm walking in my purpose. And I know in order to walk fully in your purpose, you have to, you have to go through some fire at times. So I'm welcoming, I'm welcoming it. When I was at Florida State, they had to throw you out there in the fire. They had to test you. So I'm welcoming it. Everybody wants it to be an a easy, a, a easy breeze. No, nah, that's not going to happen. Because if you truly want to be successful, you truly want to make an impact, you got to go through those storms to truly make the impact that you were meant to make on this, in this world. I know when I had my son and friends who don't have kids asked, man, what was that like? I said, indescribable, you, you, you have to have it happen to you 
for you to know the depth of which you literally wake up as I don't care how selfish a person you were the day before and seeking goals and seeking to be the best you and loving yourself only. He comes out and I instantly felt this paternal feeling of my life doesn't matter anymore. It's all about him. He comes first, period, full stop. With everything. What is that like to be a father and for all of the goals? And the reason why I'm asking you this is few people know what it's like to be among the best at the world at something ever. Now take that impact personally and add a child to it as far as your goals now for your future. Yes, it's so much. It's so much. My purpose is so much bigger now knowing that my, my daughter is here. Just wanting to leave a legacy behind for her if I go on to have future kids and then her, her kids, just leaving the legacy behind for them to follow up. And I, I honestly, I truly believe that your name, once you leave this earth, that's, that's all people need to know about you, your name. So what legacy do you want your name attached to it? And that's, that's what I'm trying. That's what I'm trying to build, build right now in this world, continue to make an impact with my story and with this nonprofit and just having my daughter growing up into something that, we didn't have so and i think her she doesn't understand it now the sacrifices that i make but when she grows up and she she sees it i think she's gonna she's gonna appreciate every single thing that i'm i'm doing and i i appreciate every single thing that's happened to this moment i remember my daughter when she was born like you said it's indescribable and this is at the point where i'm still living a crazy lifestyle and i'm under this crazy investigation not knowing if i'm finna get taken away tomorrow. And I remember just at that moment, telling my girlfriend, I'm like, man, I'm done. And I just, it was, once I held her, I'm like, man, I'm done. I don't know like what's gonna happen tomorrow, but no matter what happens, I'm gonna be here to, to make sure I make an impact in her life. And if I get an opportunity to get out of this, I'm gonna do everything that I can to make as big of an impact as I can in her life. Well, that's awesome. Freddie, so the name of your company is Triumph 105. You have a nonprofit organization that's coming soon. What's going to be the name of that? The Trials of Triumph Foundation. Terrific. Now, one of the things I do on this show is I wear a t-shirt under my jacket every week and I tell everyone what t-shirt I'm wearing and what's the significance of it. And this week's t-shirt is unapologetically dope, which is a t-shirt that I'm not sure you've heard of, but it uh, comes from a company called Power in Black. And they were doing okay with their t-shirts. And then this amazing comedian by the name of Dave Chappelle decided to wear it one day and it went through the roof. And I'd seen it before and then I saw him wearing it and I said, oh, I gotta get myself one and an amazing company trying to do some great things. So we wanted to highlight them today as well. Um, when you talk about your brand and Triumph 105, by the way, has a store, there's some t-shirts there, there's some different type of accessories that you sell as well and, and, and various things that are branded that you're trying to get off the ground. By the way, I'd love to get the Triumph 105 t-shirt that has the prayer symbol, which I think is as significant as the TCV yeah. that you have on the front. That's the logo everybody loves. The, the prayer hands. Yeah. 
the prayer hands are a big deal. Uh, I would I would continue that. I think it's even more powerful than the TCV, but uh, listen to the response of those who have an opinion about your brand. Ask those that are buying it why they like it. And the more you do your homework as to not only what you like, but you listen to your audience, I think you do just fine. I, I, got I definitely appreciate the advice. So what's the future? You're 26. You've got a brand. You've got a book. Talk to us a bit about the book. We're going to put the book cover up now for, your, for folks to be able to see it and they could pick it up at, uh, on Amazon and other places where books are sold. Trials to Triumph is the name of the book. And in a soundbite, tell us what it's about. It's a, it's a memoir, memoir of my story, talking about some of the obstacles that I've overcome. But also, I have a lot of gems and nuggets that I drop inside the book, challenges to the audience, the reader, just to find your purpose and ultimately look yourself in the mirror and figure out what you want out of life. Because it was a lot of times in life that I was my biggest adversary. adversary. So um, I think once I came to grips that the fact that, okay, Freddie, you can't blame the world. A lot of these situations you put yourself into. Yeah, a lot of bad has happened to you, but you, you've done a lot of bad as well. So ultimately looking myself in the mirror and said, man, going back is not happening anymore. I'm, I'm taking accountability. I'm taking back control of my life. I'm taking back the will. And that'll never happen again where I put my life in someone else's hands. It's whatever happens to you, Freddie, from this moment on, it's your fault. You take accountability for it. And that's ultimately when my life started to change, once I changed my mindset. So you're 26. Let's talk to Freddie, who is going to be 36. 10 years from now, what are your goals? I know you to be a superior athlete and to do the things you've done in life and to fall down and get up at least four major times, which is unbelievable um, and courageous and an example for many. Where do you see yourself? What is your big goal? You're talking to yourself at 36. What are you hoping to accomplish? Number one is continue to imp impact lives. That's what, that's what we're doing this for. If I can impact one a day, then I'm doing, I'm doing my job. But goals, of course, I would love to travel around the country and tell my story, whether it's co collegiate football teams, NFL teams, know the story needs to be heard. And as I continue, continue to grow, continue to push that out and my powerful message, but also my powerful gift. I didn't, I didn't know how gifted I was as a speaker until a men that mentor reached out to me and had me speak at, a, at an event while I'm going through my situation. And once that happened, I was like, okay, I may, I may be able to do this. So as I continue to fine tune my skills and, and sharpen, sharpen my tools, I always pride myself on that while people were like, man, what are you, what are you doing in the meantime? Like when, I, when things were going slow for me, I remember I started out and COVID kind of slowed everything down for me. I was a new speaker. I was booked like week after week. And then COVID slowed everything down for me. Like, what are you going to do in the meantime? Like, man, I'm going to continue to sharpen my tools. Because that opportunity is going to come one day. And when it comes, I'm going to make sure that I take full advantage of it. And I ultimately want to tell my story across the world, but continue to build my portfolio just for people to see what I'm doing. And that's just why I did the, the clothing line. I started off with the clothing line, did the book, going to build a nonprofit. 
But just seeing that, okay, a lot of people from these underserved communities, you see so many, they lock themselves in the in the box. Either they just want to be an athlete and they never think of anything outside of that. So just continuing to show people that you're so much more than your, your job, your occupation. There's so much more that you can do in this world. And a lot of people, they only they expected me to give up after my playing career was over. So just showing them there's more to the person than that. And you can make a huge, huge impact in this world as long as you keep a wide imagination. Stay disciplined right. and believe. I see you at age 30, married, and your daughter in the stand saying, that's my dad. <laughs> oh, what does he do? Oh, well, he does a lot of things, but uh, he's a teacher here, and he's a coach, and he writes books, and he's got a nonprofit, and he gives speeches. That's Freddie Stevenson? Wow. Kind of a great feeling. So I, I hope that, that that happens for you. You have one final opportunity to give a message to all those out there. How would you like to close out the interview, Freddie? As simple as don't give up. That's that's all that's all it is. Life is gonna test you, life's gonna get hard. But don't, never quit on yourself, never give up, don't give in. Life's gonna bend you, but you can't break. That's that's the reality is life. I've been down so many times in this life, but I didn't allow life to break me. I kept getting up. So no matter what comes your way, don't give up. He grew up with a single mom who was barely able to keep her kids from being homeless. His also his dream was always to play for the NFL, but that was suddenly cut short. So what happened next is told in a brand new, newly released ebook by former NFL free agent Freddie Stevenson. Freddie is joining us now to talk about going from trials to triumph and overcoming obstacles. Freddie, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you guys for having me. Hi, Freddie. What an inspiring story. So Lou texted me about this this morning. She was really excited about this. So let's talk about it. Uh, tell us about what your family faced when you were really young. Yes, early on, my father. He was incarcerated for drug trafficking and it left my mom with the tough task of raising five kids on her own. And times got hard. We found ourselves homeless at times, bouncing around from place to place and just trying to make ends meet. And it, it was tough, but she always did her best for us. Let's talk about, uh, I, I saw an interview where you guys were at McDonald's. She ordered a cheeseburger and you were thinking more cheeseburgers were coming, but you, you made a pack that day. Can you tell that story? Yes, um, kind of. My social media handle is StruggleMade105, and the story that's really what it ties into. One day we're at McDonald's, and my mom orders a cheeseburger for all my siblings, and I didn't know that she only had a dollar on her at the time. So the total comes out to a dollar and five cents. He has to go around the restaurant and beg for a nickel because the cash cashier that day wouldn't allow her to get the burger with just a dollar. So. My mom walks us outside after getting the burger, slices it up into five pieces, and then she hands it out to everybody. And as we're eating, we noticed that my mom isn't eating, so we tried to offer her some. And she turned it down and immediately burst into tears. And that moment, it stuck with us forever. And I remember promising to her that I was going to make it to the NFL and change my family's life. And you did. So let's talk about that transition. Professional sports is often an avenue out of poverty for kids in underserved communities. So what was your experience like in the NFL? And it was, it was a dream come true just to be 
fulfilling my ultimate goal. You have to live in the moment, and ultimately that's what I was doing. I didn't know that it was going to end faster than I wanted it to, but I enjoyed every single moment, and I've always prided myself on giving every single thing that I, I got. And I ultimately believe that everything ended for a reason, and it ultimately was for this reason right here, for me to come back and tell my story. Freddie, you also speak at schools. You talk to kids a lot, and you say that speaking um, in front of those kids and telling your story is better than any touchdown that you've ever scored. Was there a person or an event that actually sparked you to go out there and do that and share your wisdom? Yes, without a doubt, I had a mentor reach out to me about a few months after I stopped playing just retired and was depressed trying to figure things out. My whole identity was tied into being a football player. So I didn't really know what was next. They reached out to me and asked me to speak at an event. And everything from there, it, it just took off, to be honest. Like, I was on, I was uncomfortable during the event, but after just hearing all the reviews from everybody, saying how I changed their life and my passion for speaking and just my story really sat with them and resonated with them. And that feeling, I don't know, it was just something that rushed over me. I never scored a touchdown that felt like that. Mm -hmm. So during that moment, I found my, my purpose and I was going to walk in it. Well, let's talk about your purpose. Can you tell us more about some of the projects that you're working on? Yes, yeah, so right now we're, we're working on building up this nonprofit. We've got a lot of different things rolling out in the summer as far as camps and things that I'm going to help people out with. But building a nonprofit to help out underserved, underserved communities and just put resources in place so that upon graduation, they have better ideas of what they want to do with their life. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of these people, they don't have those resources or they just don't have the information. So it makes the transition a lot, a lot more difficult for some people. So through workshops, through camps, through college visits, even through scholarships for kids that want to go on and go to college after high school, just putting as, much, as many resources in place. Mm -hmm for these kids so that they can go on to be successful. Well, congratulations on your what success. A story. Yeah, and also uh, on being a dad. Your daughter's beautiful. Thank you, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much, man. We're gonna take a look at your book. We're gonna make sure that we put the cover up again so that people know where to get it. And we'd like to keep in touch with you and see how things are moving forward for you, if that's okay. Yes, sir, without a doubt. Thanks so much, man. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show. So Freddie Stevenson, what an amazing inspiration. Not once, not twice, not three times, but four times so far in his young life. Major fall down, get up stories. Just unbelievable. We definitely need to take, it as, take a look at his book, Trials to Triumph. It's available on Amazon. We're gonna keep in touch with this young man. He's gonna be an inspiration, I predict, not just for those who love sports, but those who just live life. And I love his story. I love his brand. We're gonna get his t-shirt. And I hope you like his story as much as I do. Thank you for watching Reputations in Crisis. And remember, less head work, more heart work, peace. And don't forget to follow us and subscribe on YouTube channel, Apple's podcast, Google podcasts, and Spotify. Reputations 
in crisis with Mike Paul, the reputation doc. Thank you very much.